I want to share with you this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, we're kind of uh, our sermon series this month is Christmas with Matt, and we're looking at the uh, perspective of Matthew as he shares. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to continue reading through this, and we're going to begin here with verse, uh, 20, or verse 18. So let me invite you to stand as we receive this, and please turn in your Bibles there as well. And I intend to read down through verse 25. This is a little easier than last week when we were dealing with all those names and the genealogy. So uh, grateful for that. But hear the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Well, as I said, we've been looking at Matthew, and last week, if you were here, you'll recall that we looked at the, the genealogy that Matthew lists, and we saw in that genealogy the very good news is that, that all kinds of people are included in God's family. He's not afraid to associate with the outcast, which happens to be people like you and me too. But Matthew doesn't leave us there when it comes to Jesus. He begins to tell us the Christmas story from the perspective of Joseph. And I believe he shows us is that when we align ourselves with Jesus, when we begin to follow Jesus, when we allow Jesus into our lives, it can be exceedingly difficult. There is a great irony, if you think about it, in the Christian life. Jesus, when he enters into our life, he ushers us into a life that simultaneously is the most joyful. This is the, the, the day of joy as we think about the Advent candle, but it is also the most difficult on earth. John 10.10 10 tells us that Jesus gives us life and life more abundant. Psalm 1611 says that in God's presence there is the fullness of joy. And in fact, in Psalm 84, verse 10, it says that it is better one day in your house, in your courts, than 10,000 anywhere else. And yet, contrast that with the gospel message in Matthew 16, where Jesus tells us that if we're going to follow him, we must take up our cross and follow him. 
Now, of course, today, when we see crosses, it, it, it's, a, it's a piece of jewelry. It, it, we show it off in our homes. We, we wear them as, as jewelry, as diamonds and gold and, and that like. But, but think about what Jesus was saying when, and what his hearers would have understood. In that day, crosses were symbols of torture. They were symbols of death and horror. In those days, normal people didn't get a cross tattooed on their bodies. Imagine if you went to someone's house and above their baby's crib, you had a little hangman's noose. What would you think? Above the kitchen table, they had a picture of an electric chair. Or in their family room, they had a picture of a firing squad. Listen, you wouldn't stay for dinner in that kind of home. You wouldn't let your children play with those people. And yet that's the image that Jesus gives us and says, everyone who follows me must take up their cross to do so. Paul, the apostle, writes in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The Apostle Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that if the resurrection is not true, then followers of Jesus are people that ought to be the most pitied in all the world because their lives are characterized by a cross. And you've got to remember, think about Paul's life. Think about his ministry. Following Jesus, allowing Jesus into his life meant suffering and sacrifice and persecution. It, it meant living with a lot of unanswered questions, a whole lot of problems with the churches, dying in many ways as a loser. He was executed. And Paul said, if I get to the end of my life and it's all a hoax, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it was all worth it. It was still an abundant life. Oh, glorious delusion. In fact, no, he says, no, if this was all a delusion, then I am the most pathetic person who ever lived. That was his perspective. It was hard. This morning, I want you to know, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to go all the way with Jesus, if we're going to let Jesus into our lives, you better have a pretty strong grasp of why he is worth it. You better understand why he's worth it. The story that Matthew unfolds here, it seems to me, is an early indication of what the followers of Jesus, the, the people who let Jesus into their lives, can, uh, can expect that following Jesus might just be tough. Joseph and Mary are, of course, betrothed to each other, Matthew lets us know. Legally, they are already bound to each other. But in fact, they are not permitted to come together and consummate their marriage for one year. This was the Jewish custom called Kedushin. This is an, an engagement period that's really on steroids. It was legally binding. It had to happen this way. But in that day, you couldn't just back out of an engagement. No, it required a legal divorce. Now, many of us know this part of the story. But it's during this betrothal period that Mary turns up pregnant. 
And for a moment, I think it's good to to gain perspective and, and think about how painful and humiliating that had to be for Joseph when he got that news. The Bible says that Joseph was faithful to the law. In other translations, it says he was a righteous man. He had done things the right way. He was being honorable in his life. So what would it have been like to hear from this girl you are betrothed to, but knowing you haven't touched her? Joseph, of course, he doesn't believe her. You wouldn't believe it either. He's like, oh, oh, right, the Holy Spirit got you pregnant and probably gave you a unicorn too, right? No one's buying that. And because you can't unscramble eggs, he does the only thing he, he knows to do, the right thing he's thinking. He decides to divorce her. That's what it would require. And because he is a kind man, he tries to do this as quietly as possible. Because in that day, Mary could have been stoned. Do you ever wonder why God did it this way? I mean, when when, when you are favored, you'd think God's going to make it easy, right? God's going God's to pour out his blessings and things are going to be on easy street. We're favored. But it ruined both of their reputations. The angel doesn't show up and explain the situation to everyone in the village or everybody in the community. God doesn't send out a news bulletin. Everyone else from that point on thought of Mary as an impure girl. When they looked through the yearbook, pictures, uh, pictures later on, years later, they, they pointed out and said, you know, that, that's Mary. You remember Mary? You remember what happened to her? Yeah, what a shame. Who knew that she had a dark side? And, and when Joseph married her, it seems like he was confessing that, in fact, he was the baby's father. That's what... That's, that, that's what people would have understood. If he was honorable, he would not have married her at all. And so this pregnancy ruins both of their reputations in the community. And, 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 and I never forget this. Later when they go to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, where he surely would have had family, suddenly there's no room for them. Not in a home, which would have had all kinds, you know, in that culture, hospitality was huge. No room for them in a home. No room for them in the inn. Seemingly, this couple is alone. Mary didn't get the storybook wedding that she dreamed of. Every girl dreams of her wedding, and I I find myself grateful that I only have one daughter when I think about what those weddings cost, you know. Thankfully for faith right now, it seems like marriage is still a a ways off at this point, and I think that's probably a good thing because I gave all the wedding money away to the campaign just recently, so. But Mary's dreams were shattered. And notice this, they were shattered by Jesus himself. But you know, it was more than that. 
Eventually, they would have to flee their homeland because of Jesus. And so the question becomes, and this is a real question, is this the abundant life? Why did God do it this way? And here's my answer. I think that the Holy Spirit is laying a foundation for all of us from Jesus' birth forward for how people will have to be ready to live when they follow him. It's going to be difficult. And I want to give you four things to think about and take home with you today from Joseph's life that I think teach us what it takes to follow Jesus. And then I want to share with you why Joseph had the strength to do it. First, I would outline this. Jesus learned, or Joseph, excuse me, learned trust and absolute obedience. Joseph had to believe the impossible. The angel comes and tells him this story, but he has to risk everything on what the angel tells him. We got, this, uh, we got word this week that David and Courtney Fain, who serve as our missionaries to Thailand, were, were allowed back into the country. You know, there was some real question about their visa, and it was going to struggle. Oh, man, it was going to be a mess. But they were allowed back in just after a week, and so it worked out very, very well. We're grateful to hear that. But I just want you to think about for a moment what it took for this young couple with their kids to serve Jesus in a place where only 1% of the people around them know who he is. Why did they do that? Why would a couple risk all of that? Because they absolutely believed that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They absolutely believed that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. They absolutely believed that he got up and rose from the dead and said, you go and make disciples of all the nations. They believed that. I was touched the other night when a woman in our congregation said to me, Pastor, I've just retired, but I'm going to start cleaning another person's house and give what I make from that to the church's campaign my response was are you crazy are you kidding me and then it occurred to me the only reason you do that is you really believe that Jesus came his promises are true and his kingdom is eternal it's a matter of faith and Joseph had to trust and he had to obey but you know, there's something else I look at Joseph. and Following Jesus means this. It means the acceptance of a death sentence. Think about it. Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy put her under a literal death sentence. If he had made a, a stink about it, he could have had her stoned. He could have had her killed. Beyond that, however, Joseph and Mary had to die to their good name, to their cherished dreams, to their families, and in fact, to their homeland. God, you took away so much. You know, when we get serious about following God, it's amazing what he might call you to give up. I, I can't help but think about 
Pastor David and Ginger <laughs> this morning. Four or five years ago, he was a vice president of a community college, doing really well, made a good income, security, uh, all the benefits that came with that. Smart guy, as already you know. Now this morning, there he is on our behalf, working in Elyria, starting this uh, project as we get ready to relaunch in, in January. Listen, there is no security it either works or it doesn't. There is no safety net that we figure it out anyway. What causes a person to do that? You have to die for something like that to happen. D does that sound silly? Does it sound foolish to put your own family and future at risk? Jesus, however, made this audacious statement. He said in Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, please understand what Jesus is saying here. He is not saying we should hate our mothers and our fathers and our family. But in comparison to your commitment for your love to live for God with everything you are, it looks like you've abandoned them to follow me. And by the way, that message doesn't grow a church. It, it doesn't excite people. Talking about the abundant life does. Talking about your best life, that gets people excited. But this is the message that Jesus preached for his disciples, of those who would follow him. But I'm not done yet. Think about Joseph. When, when we follow Jesus, when we invite Jesus into our lives, it's always going to involve a third thing, and that is self-denial. Verse 25 reminds us that, that Joseph didn't consummate his marriage with Mary for some time after Jesus was born. They did not consummate their relationship. And that reminds me, listen, following Jesus means denying yourself some things you might otherwise enjoy. You know, today we have singles that aren't willing to wait to have sex, and they're not even married. Joseph is married and waited to have sex because it was the will of God. Listen, if you are going to follow Jesus, you have to consent to do things his way, even if it demeans, uh, means denying yourself, something that you might otherwise really want to do. When, when I see couples living together outside of marriage, if you're going to have Jesus in your family, in your life, if you're going to be a testimony to the world of the difference he has made, you're going to have to do things his way. Deny yourself. And that means this, and, and I think it's number four, and this is the last one I'll point out at least. Joseph was willing to embrace the inconvenience. Think about how much Jesus' birth complicated Joseph's life. It messed up his relationships with his family, his friends, his job. He had to move to Egypt and start over completely. 
I, I want to give you this news flash. It might be new to you, but serving Jesus is rarely convenient. You know, I hear people say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I work hard, hard all week and I got kids and I got this going on, so I can't serve in church. Well, I look forward to hearing you explain that to Mary someday in heaven. Well, Mary, you know, my, my church wanted me to serve once a month to help take care of my own kids. Uh, think about that. No one serves because it's convenient. And, and, and can I be bold this morning? I know not every ministry is for every person, but do you have a ministry that is inconvenient for you? Marcia serving with Mary at the prison ministry, I guarantee you that's not the most convenient thing to do. Listen, if you don't have something that, that, that you've given to God that, that kind of gets in the way from time to time, there's a really good chance maybe you're not following Jesus completely. And uh, while I'm on a roll and I already got you upset with me, let me just keep going because... Uh, Listen, when it comes to our church's stand on what the Bible says about human sexuality and marriage, you know that is completely inconvenient. I wish to God that we could just go along with where society is. It's going to be quite inconvenient to say that Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. It's going to be quite inconvenient to remind people that God created us male and female. People say to me, you know, is it really that big a deal? It's just a personal preference. It is inconvenient today to teach what the Bible says about these things. But let me remind you, if you're going to walk with God in a world that is allied against him, we can expect that opposition and yes at times we're going to be misunderstood misaligned mistreated ultimately persecuted and so if the defining characteristic you are looking for in a church is convenience maybe this church isn't for you because Joseph experienced all of those things he he followed Jesus with absolute trust and obedience. He accepted a sentence of death. He faced self-denial. He certainly was inconvenienced. So where does the strength come from that allows the church to follow Jesus and to align with him? Well, I look at Joseph and I, just, I, I, I found two things that I think allowed Joseph to, to move forward. And I'll give them to you briefly here. Joseph discovered that God keeps his promises and that this baby had a remarkable name. Let me outline that for you. In verse 23, the angel tells Joseph about a, tabernacle, about a remarkable promise that God had made centuries before. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel. Now, now, listen to me for a second here, because I want to just give you some background to this verse. 
In 700 BC, King Ahaz ruled the nation of Judah when the armies of Syria were suddenly going to attack and destroy his kingdom. Ahaz was a wicked king, and he knew that, that legitimately he could not come to God and ask for help, and so he was found in much despair. But Isaiah, the prophet, comes along and prophesies that in fact, that because God wanted to keep his promises to Abraham, Isaiah tells Ahaz that God will in fact not destroy the nation of Judah, and this would be the sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, the word virgin, this word here in Hebrew, can mean one of two things. It could mean a girl who has never had sex, or it could just mean a young girl of marriageable age. So uh, they would have been like, well, Isaiah, if you listen to him, he says that a young woman shall conceive. Is that a big deal? Young women conceive all the time. That's like saying, well, the proof of this prophecy is that the birds will chirp and the dogs will bark, and it happened. It's not a big deal. Someone, in fact, in Ahaz's house, household had a baby, and that was the sign, but it really didn't seem all that impressive but now through the angel God God takes that same prophecy and says this is actually what I was talking about it's not just a young woman but a virgin the other meaning of the word a girl who has never been with a man will conceive and in that miraculous birth, I will deliver Israel from all their fears and fulfill my promise to Abraham. Here's what we should gain from that then. God kept his promises then, and God will keep his promises now. Listen, I'm like you. We wonder, is God really active in our world what is God up to? How could what is going on in the world be anything but just random and chaotic? If God is really involved in this, why is it such a mess? But here's the sign. A virgin conceived. And not just that, the virgin had a baby and that baby grew up died on a cross, was placed in a grave, and then he rose again. Listen, some of you doubt God's existence based on the fact that he hasn't done what you expected him to do. You don't like things the way things are going, and you wonder. You know, if you ask my kids at times to build a case that I existed based on the fact that I always did what they wanted me to do, they'd make a pretty weak case about my existence, if you think about it. Because I don't always do what they want me to do. But your trust in God should not be based on how well he has fulfilled your expectations, but rather based on the signs that he has already given you. Behold, a virgin conceives. God kept his promises, and he still will do so. But secondly, boy, this baby had a remarkable name. 
the angel comes to Joseph and says, you will, name the name, you will name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Jesus in Hebrew means God saves. And then the angel says, and I'll remind you of the prophecy, you will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus means God saves. Emmanuel means God with us. So the first name, Jesus, indicates what he does. The second name, Emmanuel, indicates who he is. In those two names, Joseph gets a picture of the glory of God. The most fundamental doctrine of our faith is that Jesus came 100% man and 100% God. Born of a human, Mary, he was fully man, but he was virgin born because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, so he was fully God. As a full man, he died on a cross, the death of a human being that we were each condemned to die, but God only can save, and he came and he came to dwell with us. In the garden, God walked with, in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. When he delivered the people of Israel from slavery, you remember he was with them through the pillar of fire at night and a cloud, of day, cloud by day. Then the people built a tabernacle representing the presence of God in the midst of them. But then Jesus came and he is God with us. And then when the Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit, and suddenly the disciples said, God is in us because of what he's done. My point there this morning is this. Listen, my friend, you were not created to serve a distant God. You were created to, to be known by God and to be loved by God and to love him back and to walk with him as a friend. That's what the incarnation tells us and means and Joseph saw this and he understood it he saw God's glory and so Jesus would come and save the people from their sins and Emmanuel would be God with us listen whatever price Joseph paid Jesus paid so much more in fact, everything that God asked Mary and Joseph to do, Jesus did in a much greater proportion. Because he would be falsely maligned. He would be falsely accused by the religious establishment. He had a death sentence and would die on the cross, taking on the curse for you and me. He denied himself, but taking up that cross... You see, the only way I can be willing, maybe, to experience some of the pain, the frustration, even the disappointment that life gives me is knowing that Jesus, Jesus did all that he did for me. You know, we have to see then what Joseph saw, that God keeps his promises, God saves and God is with us. Here's the thing I think about Joseph this morning. Have you ever thought about what would have happened if Joseph had said, I'm out? He heard the angel, but he 
didn't believe the angel and he said, you know what, this is too much. I'm going to walk away. What would have happened if Joseph had gone ahead and divorced Mary? You know, I suspect he probably would have married another girl. I think he would have set up a nice little carpenter shop, done very well in his hometown, enjoyed life and family. Life would have been so much easier. But he would have missed out on Jesus. So Joseph tells us this morning, friend, it's worth it. God ultimately keeps his promises. Jesus is worth the pain, the humiliation, the shame, the suffering. Even if death comes, he's worth it. And so my challenge to you and my question to you is, are you all in? Do you believe that God keeps his promises? That yes, it can be inconvenient. Yes, it can be frustrating. Sometimes there's suffering involved. But God has saved me and done so much for me. I, I give my life to him. All of it. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is somewhat of a, maybe a hard message to swallow. And in fact, Lord, at times, following you can be difficult. But I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Joseph and Mary, who went through so much. Because, Lord, eventually they understood that you were going to go through so much more. Lord, I pray, therefore, you would check our own spirits. Where have we said no to you? Where have we developed hard hearts? and said, Lord, I don't trust you there. I don't believe you there. I pray, Lord, that this morning we would, we would contemplate all that you are, all that you want to do, and we would say yes. And you would use us completely for your glory's sake. Lord, tear down walls, renew our spirits, and help us to see you in a fresh way. We give you thanksgiving and praise because, Lord, we know that our hope is secure, that in you there is joy. But joy, Lord, comes when we've given ourselves completely to you. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.